The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'll continue with the topic of the paramis. For the second talk, the parami is sila. And sometimes sila is translated as ethics or virtue, which is often instructive and inspiring and and meaningful to live with. But it also has a different meaning that uh, is closer to, I think, the original, that also is relevant for the purposes of kind of going along with these developing and growing with the paramis. The paramis are these 10 qualities of character that uh, can be developed, that uh, the heart, the mind, character can be developed just like a muscle at a gym. And um, acting on the impulses for virtue develops the virtues, develops our capacity, our strength, our wisdom about how to live from these virtues and these qualities. And in the, in the kind of, if you go to play, practice in places like Burma, Thailand, if a meditator runs into difficulties in meditation that are you know, pretty big obstacles, especially on retreat, it's not uncommon for a teacher to think that uh, that person really needs to develop a particular parami, particular of these ten perfections, or maybe all of them, in order to have the foundation for meditation practice. And, um, And so the paramis are often seen as qualities that we develop in daily life. And some people will actually choose different ones because they feel they're short on it or they, they benefit from having, a, having it more and really work on it, make it a theme for a week, a month, a year to really develop and become wise about this particular capacity. And, um, and so, uh, so they're kind of a useful uh, kind of guide for practicing in daily life and so it's not more than just daily life practice. It's more than just showing up and being mindful, being aware in an open and clear way to what's happening in the present moment. But it's also how we show up for it, how we respond to it. And we can also respond through that present moment awareness with these paramis. So yesterday the theme was generosity. And today the theme is uh, sila. Pali word, as I said, often means ethics or virtue. Uh, the way it's used, at least in the t- time of the Buddha and his uh, discussion, it's uh, probably a better translation is virtuous conduct, because sila by itself basically means conduct, uh, behavior, and in context of talking about it in, in terms of Buddhist practice, it's the contact conduct that is virtuous or or um, ethical, but Buddhism doesn't really use the words virtue and ethical. Those are Western words, and um, and so it may, they might be complicating the discussion more than it needs to. At its essence, what sila is, is conduct, behavior, that does not cause harm. So in meditation, we're learning how to not cause harm to ourselves, and that could be, the whole path of meditation can be described as deeper and deeper, fuller, more complete ways in which we're not causing harm. And, uh, the, the, and it's a process, 
And uh, it's only with full enlightenment that a person really comes to the stage of where there's absolutely zero inclinations, tendencies, activities of mind and heart that could be said to be cause any self-harm, um, to be liberated from that. So we sometimes will talk about the being liberated from suffering, but the suffering we're liberated from is the suffering that somehow our mind and heart are gener- is generating. Uh, but then there's what we do in the world, and that uh, we want to live in a way that causes no harm for others, no intentional or conscious efforts to cause harm to anyone. And, uh, and so um, that is sila, that conduct. And uh, it comes early, this generosity and, and this ethical conduct uh, comes early in the paramis because they're the ones that involve behavior and that we have m- sometimes much more choice about how we physically behave in the world than we do what thoughts we have, what feelings we have, what impulses arise more deeply. And so, like the, the highest parami is equanimity. We might have less control about just simply deciding, I'm going to be equanimous now. But even if you don't feel like giving something to someone, it's possible to give. Uh, it's not quite generosity yet, but it's a physical behavior that you can give. Same thing with uh, conduct. We have some control over, it's obvious, we can see what our conduct is, we see what we do with our speech, with our hands, uh, and sometimes it, it, we have, at least in principle, more uh, uh, agency with what we do with our body and what we do with our mouth in relationship to whether we're causing harm or not. And so one of the important parts of the sila, of conduct, that's kind of like baseline. It's kind of like this is the bottom line that we really want to understand that we don't go below this line. And that is uh, the practice of restraint, uh, that we don't do things that cause harm. And in particular, for lay people, it's the five precepts. Those are precepts of restraint. Some people complain that it's just you know, not doing something is kind of a negative uh, teaching idea and life should be more positive, coming from beautiful qualities and we don't want to be only restricted and not do something. And that's true, for sure. But we shouldn't remember that the baseline, the foundation, uh, what that is, that we start there and then from there we go further. And then we can develop these beautiful paramis and compassion and generosity and other things. But the bottom line is um, uh, the f- not causing harm through these five, in these five areas. Through uh, killing people or physically harming people, through um, stealing from people, through harming people through our sexuality, through uh, lying, through false speech, and from uh, harming ourselves. And the fourth, fifth precept is a little bit more, you know, variable how we understand it. Uh, here it's a lot to do with self-harm, but uh, it said that uh, all the other precepts, the first four precepts, are more likely to be, be violated, broken, if um, a person is intoxicated. So it's a way of taking care of others and being safe for others to make it so that less likely that we're going to say and do things which we later regret or 
which caused harm. And so this bottom line of simply, simple, simply dedicating ourselves to not being a person who physically or verbally causes harm. That's the dedication of sila. And, um, and if that's already, you know, you're good at that. There's no question. You're just very straightforward, clearly, absolutely someone who already causes no harm for anyone. Then you are said to be a person endowed with sila, possessed with this virtuous conduct. And then you don't have to listen too much to these kinds of teachings or think much more about sila. But if uh, in meditation practice, we're learning to notice the subtleties of what we do and, uh, and the subtle movements of the mind where there are uh, ways in which we cause stress, tension, contraction, uh, f- subtle forms of hurt, subtle forms of pain and distress, and um, things that maybe we put up with and don't even notice in daily life. It just seems like it's normal life. We're distracted with what we're doing. And meditation, as we get quieter, we see this more and more subtle ways in which we enact dukkha, stress. And we learn to let go of it and quiet the mind or quiet those activities, stressful activities. But that sensitivity to the subtlety translates into daily life to be aware of the subtleties in which we, we transmit hurt or we cause hurt. The subtlest ways in which we, through our speech, especially through our speech for many of us, but also through our actions. Um, you know, we interrupt people. We, um, we, we, two people are trying to, you, someone else is trying to go to a line same time as you. And, um, and then you go a little bit faster to cut them off. Is that really, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not caused, causing harm, maybe, but subtle, subtly, subtly it does, maybe a very subtle disrespect. Or maybe insisting uh, that one should have one's own way because one should be free to do whatever one wants, not noticing that someone else then becomes afraid or distressed and how uncomfortable they feel. And, uh, and it's a pity that we have the opportunity to not make them uncomfortable. People f- who have very good reason to be very, uh, very concerned about the coronavirus, they have immune deficiency, they have all kinds of issues, um, they get frightened when they see someone who doesn't wear a mask. And uh, do we just blow off their fear? Do we say, well, that, you know, my, my, my ability to do whatever I want and not wear a mask is, has priority? And, um, well, we can make that policy. We can have that kind of politics. Um, but if we're really attentive inside, we can feel how that attitude probably causes some kind of self-contraction and also... We're concerned about the subtleties and how we may cause other people to be afraid or contribute to that fear. And it isn't that we have a moral obligation maybe to not make people afraid, but as we practice more and more deeply, there's a greater sensitivity to what this means, harm and not causing harm. And it becomes more and more a natural tendency to be careful and sensitive, aware, and and discover that it's actually greater ease in the world and not to do anything that asserts ourselves in a way that causes harm to others. In fact, more often than not, if we assert ourselves in a way that's harmful or stressful for others, um, chances are we're also harming ourselves. 
And I don't want to say that as a you know a declarative statement, but I say it so that that maybe as you meditate and discover this more and more subtle, greater sensitivity to what's here, that you become more sensitive to to how asserting yourself over someone else, uh, whether it's your opinion or your you know, other things, uh, that sometimes that that is a kind of self-harm. It isn't always self-harm if other people are harming us. Asserting ourselves is not a form of self-harm. And, um, but, uh, but this deeper and deeper sensitivity to where the harm is, where the harm is, where the harm is not, and learning how to be careful with that, that has to do with sila. And uh, as a minimum, as I said, it's the five precepts. And that's kind of like considered the heart of sila. And so in terms of the paramis, uh, there's no obligation to cultivate the paramis, but these are really uh, held up as qualities that are amazingly supportive for the process of liberation. In fact, not only are they supportive for that process, they're also supportive for the process of compassion. If what we're interested in is um, a life of dedicated to liberation for self and others, a life dedicated to compassion for self or others. These paramis are off both the support for that and they're also an expression of that. And it's beautiful ways in which both support and expression are the same thing um, makes it kind of seamless and, and, uh, and beautiful to kind of cultivate these things. And so if, and this is a big if, so this, this is not you should, but as we delve into our intention for what do we want our life to be about, the fundamental purpose or intention or motivation upon which we live our life, uh, if that is uh, liberation from suffering, liberation from harm, and compassion, the caring for the suffering, caring for the way people are get harmed, and trying to ameliorate and, and uh, end that, those, that's a, those are beautiful motivations in Buddhist, in Buddhist terms. That's kind of like the most important purpose of human life is to live for, live for those two things. So if that's kind of the purpose, that's what the paramis are for. That's what the paramis support and that's what they allow us to express. So, t- for, so for the next 24 hours until we do the next parami, I'd encourage you to really consider sila, uh, virtuous conduct, the conduct that doesn't cause harm for self and others. And uh, maybe talk to friends about it, reflect on it, practice it the best you can. See what it's like to really live with this in the forefront. Write it on a piece of paper and carry it with you to remind you or in a sticky note someplace. And, um, and maybe read about it if you, or listen to a Dharma talks about it maybe during this next period. And the reason to encourage you to do that, it's good for its own sake, but it's also uh, these paramis, as I said yesterday, our journey is an unfolding that builds over time, one after the other. And so if you do 24 hours kind of living with each one as we talk, maybe you'll start feeling the momentum and the growth and the way they kind of flow from one to the other. And, um, and by the time we get to equanimity, equanimity will be, you know, really have much more meaning for you. So thank you very much and um
And it would be an inspiring thing if there's currently over 500 people uh, listening to this. If there were 500 people today, if we knew that all of you were going to live a life of a greater life, a, a more thorough life of non-harming, what a great thing to celebrate and appreciate. So I thank you all very much. <laughs>